If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it to the book of Jude, to the book of Jude. Which chapter, you ask? Don't ask that. Don't ask that. All right. We are in our second week of a series that we are uh, calling Little Letters. And uh, over the next, we, it's going to end up being five weeks, but we're, we're going to look at four little letters. Some people call these postcard epistles. Okay, they are, they are tiny. Uh, and this is two weeks in a row that we will look at a letter that's 25 verses. These books, Philemon last week, Jude this week and next week, and then second and third John. And like I said last week, I mean, at the very least, at the very least, a goal of ours is that after we finish this, after we finish these books, that you'll walk out of this room each week with a greater knowledge of God's word. Okay, you'll walk out with a greater knowledge of what God has given us in his word and specifically in four little letters. But we desire more than that. We believe that God uses his word to actually transform us more into the image of his son. And and so we believe that he is gonna use his word to do just that uh, today. And so this is gonna be broken up in two weeks. And just to kind of warn you, the reason why is for time. Uh, but the issue that that causes is this was a short letter written really to be looked at all in one sitting. And so a break between this week and next week was a little bit difficult, okay? And so we're gonna ask for God's help and ask him to use this to transform us. And I think this is gonna be really good for our souls. And so if you will, join with me as we pray before reading the word of God. Father, we thank you for this, uh, this little letter Lord, this little letter that uh, we believe today you can use to transform us more into the image of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would use this to purify our lives, that you would use this to uh, point us to your goodness and to your grace. God, that we would lean into you. There's areas of our lives that we need to turn away from and to you, then God, May that happen today. May we repent. Lord, if there are places in our lives where there is deadness, God, may you resurrect life. If there are walls, may you break them down. Father, darkness, may you light it up. Lord, we trust you to do this work through your word today. God, give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it today in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I want to invite you to open up your outline. We're going to need that and we're going to move fairly quick, fairly quickly through this. We want to look at Jude. And so let's first just acknowledge a couple things about the letter by reading the first verse. First verse says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who were called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This is written by a man named Jude. And the name you have seen other places if you have read the New Testament. Uh, one example of a place would be found in Matthew 13. Another is in Mark 6. And it's when listing out Jesus's brothers. Jude there is actually called Judas. 
Uh, it's not Judas Iscariot, and it's not the other Judas. It's Judas, his half-brother. Uh, the name Judas can be Judah, or it can be Jude. Uh, here we have Jude, but that is the same man, okay? And so Jude, that wrote this little letter, is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. They did not have the same father, okay? Uh, you know that, okay? They had different, different daddies, same mom, and now in Christ, they share the same father, okay? But, but Jude is writing uh, from a unique perspective. And so half-brother to Jesus, and he says here, brother of James. James is the one who wrote the book of James, and James is a leader in the church. And we see that most clearly in Acts chapter 15, but James is a prominent leader for Christ Jesus in his church. And so Jude, Jesus' half-brother, brother of James, a servant of Jesus Christ. That's who writes this. Who's he write it to? Uh, the next part of verse one says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. This is three different ways of saying the church, God's people. Those who are called, those who are loved by the Father, those who are kept for Jesus Christ. So it's written to God's people, written to the church. And he says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Look with me at verse three. He says, beloved or dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so we, we see the first thing there, and you see it in your outline, that Jude is going to appeal to the church. He's gonna appeal to the church. And what he says, I think is very interesting. He says, I was going to write something different. And for all that we know, he did end up writing this great work about our common salvation. In fact, at some point, it could have been on the wall at the church. We don't know. But what we do know is that what's kept for us in God's word is not what he was going to write, but it's what he wrote. And what he was gonna write is something that I'm sure would be awesome, but it's like, hey, here's who we are in Christ Jesus. Here's what is ours together in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's done. Here's what he's doing. Here's what he's still to do. And what a great writing that would be. But James, I mean, but James, but Jude says as he was preparing to write that, instead, he went a different direction. He was greatly convicted to change direction for his letter. And so it's there that I think this should speak to us that when someone's really excited about writing something and they've taken the time off work to write something and now they say, we gotta go a different direction. We need to pay close attention to what he says and why he is saying it. He says, so I was gonna write about common salvation, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so if you look in your outline there under number one, we say, a, that this, uh, he's appealing to the church. So he's speaking to those that are called, loved, and kept. He's speaking to God's people. To do what? To contend. To contend, to stand up, to fight for something. What does he say for them to fight for? For the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so real quickly, let me speak to you about the faith, 
Oftentimes, and if you have spoken with me very often about faith, uh, I will talk to you about uh, battling within the faith. I might talk to you about struggling with doubt and fighting for faith and clinging to truth. Okay, that, that is within the discussion here. But, but what, Je- what Jude is talking about here is not about faith in the sense of trusting God. So fighting for greater amount of trust. That, that, that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about faith in the sense of the size of one's faith or trust. He's talking about the size of the substance that we place our faith in. You understand? So here he's not talking about the size of faith. A mustard seed can work here and it can grow into something beautiful. But it's what the mustard seed is in that is what James says we gotta fight for. And it's the faith. And specifically here, he says that was handed down. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is what he's talking about here. The message of Christ crucified. The message of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, dying in our place, rising from the grave, coming back again. That's what he's talking about here. And he's saying we must fight, we must contend for the faith that was handed down to us, that was delivered once for all to us. On that subject, we won't stay long. We can look at it a little bit more next week. Uh, But I might say this, the church can be and has often been known for fighting or contending over the wrong things. So when people think of some, you know, the church contending, they might think, and I'm not talking about Alberta Baptist, so just in general, you talk to somebody on the street, they might think of contending uh, for the faith as more like fighting over the color of carpet in a worship center. That's what they might think of. They might think it's something more like fighting over what style of music we have. A lot of times that's what people think when we say contending. That's the kind of contending the church is often known for. But worldwide, and we see the fruits of it here, and I've seen it all over the place, that the church must contend for the faith, must contend for and fight for the gospel. And that's what we're called to do here in Jude. Now, why is he so big on this right now? Why is he talking about it? Well, look in verse Four, and we'll see in point number two, Jude is gonna call out the creepers, okay? He's gonna call out the creepers, those who crept in and were distorting the truth. What does it say there? Look at verse four. Where in the world did I get that? Look, it says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who didn't surprise the Lord, who he's seen patterns of this throughout and he knew it would take place for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert, they twist the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So, uh, you know, what was happening? I don't necessarily know. And that's what gets tricky here. And you can study this yourself. I would encourage you to study it yourself and and see what you learn and can come up with. But what we know for sure 
is that we're to contend for the faith and Jude is calling the Christians here within the church to contend for the faith because there were people who slipped in. They came in unnoticed. They came in to the flock. They came into the sheepfold and what they were doing was taking the grace of God and they were twisting it somehow to promote sensuality, to promote immorality. We don't have an example of, of what that is or what it looked like. But just from the language, you can understand that there's some form of sexual immorality that was taking place from the church. And it sounds very different uh, from what we know that the gospel calls us to. Titus says that the gospel or the grace of God appearing trains us not for ungodliness, but for godliness, not for selfish desires, but for self-control. But here the grace of God was being used as a license to do whatever they wanted. And so, you know, like when the apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Rome and he says, okay, so we have God's grace. Now, does that mean we just do whatever we want? And he says, by no means. By no means. But whoever this person is, whoever this group is, they've crept into the church and they're saying something that's against God's heart and against God's ways and it's against God's gospel. Even though we don't know exactly what it is that they were teaching. So Jude appeals to the church. Jude calls out the creepers there in verse four. And then number three, we see that Jude reminds the church of the past poster boys of sin, deception, and destructive behaviors. And so it's here that I, I can teach you and help you. And it's that if you and I, and this is what at least happened to me, you may be much smarter than I am, and I'm sure that you probably are. But when I approached the book of Jude and I began to study it, there were several references that I certainly recognized and understood what was being said. There were other references that to be honest with you, I had to study pretty deeply. I didn't understand what they were referring to. I didn't understand what they meant. But in the first century here, as this is being read and understood, we need to see this is primarily a Jewish audience who's very familiar to the Old Testament and very familiar with Jewish traditional teachings. And so the way that Jude is going to teach here and the examples he's gonna give, these guys wouldn't need to go to some commentary to understand them. They would know exactly what he's talking about and it would trigger in their minds a need to repent. And so for us, I'm gonna try to help you uh, understand some of the examples here so that the Lord can work on our hearts as he worked on theirs here. So look with me there. Jude is gonna remind the church of these past poster boys of sin, deception, and destructive behaviors. So look with me at verse, seven, or verse five. <clears throat> Jude says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he's kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, 
Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So look with me at your outline there. And we, we see first that he reminds us of the Israelites in the wilderness. And so he points back, and this is a story that for the most part, most of us in this room are familiar with. All of them in the room where this was being read were very familiar with it. But it was God, man, he freed. He freed his people from Egypt where they were enslaved so they could serve and love and worship the God of the Bible, okay? They, they are freed and then what do they do? They, they start not trusting. They, they, they start uh, walking away from belief and they begin to grumble. And so a sign and something that we need to contend against is grumbling. These guys grumbled because they started believing that God didn't know what was best for them and that the leaders that God placed before them didn't know what was best for them. And so they complained against Moses, they complained against Aaron, and they just wanted to go back to Egypt. They would rather be back in Egypt than be free in the wilderness with the Lord. Didn't go well for them. God judged them. They didn't get to go into the promised land but they died in the wilderness, those who we're talking about here. And so he first reminds them like, look, th this sin, this destructive behavior, God, God judges it. And you know this, remember the Israelites. Secondly, he points to these fallen angels. And I mean, I have a grip to an extent of what's going on here because of studying from Genesis when we preach through that book. But for many of you, you might not understand where we are here. Uh, the, the reference says that, uh, verse six, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. From this writing here, and then also from Second Peter chapter two, which is almost an exact replica of what we have here in Jude, we, we get a picture of these angels who rebelled. They, they didn't take what God gave them, what was good for them. They rebelled against that and they left that. They bucked the authority. And I believe what's in Jude's mind here is actually an interpretation of, G, of Genesis 6 that you've heard before probably, but right before the flood, we're told that the sons of God came and they dwelt with and they married daughters of men. And evidently, according to what Jude is believing here and what the church was interpreting here, looks like that interpretation of Genesis 6. And so before the flood, an argument would be that angels left their dwelling and they married women. This didn't work out well and God judged this. You remember the flood where only Noah and his family survived. Point is here, the angels rebelled against authority and judgment came upon them. So you would think with the Israelites who are given the promised land that they would be able to enter into it, but no, because they chose to rebel against this, they died in the wilderness. And you would think because angels have their position that they have, that they would, that they would be secure in their angelic positions, but no, they rebelled against it and God judged them for it. And then lastly, Sodom and Gomorrah. 
which is a place that is just known for sin. Like when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, we, we have unhappy, this is not good thoughts. Like this is not good to be Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know about Sodom and Gomorrah that they were on the edge of the promised land. But yet this was a people who they gave themselves over to very unnatural, ungodly desires. And, and here's what I would say to that. And all I will say today is this, is, is that sex is a gift from the Lord that God gives to husbands and wives for them to enjoy. And what we see here in Sodom and Gomorrah is no gift at all. It wasn't a gift, it was horrific. You can go back and read Genesis 19. Nothing that happens there is gift. They took something good and they were just twisting it and distorting it to feed their own sinful desires. And what the writer's saying, what Jude's saying is, and God judged this. God judged them. God loved. God loves. He doesn't love to judge. God loves people. And God gives good gifts. He's a wonderful father who loves, as you see there in verse one. But what we see here are three examples with the Israelites, with the angels, and with those that lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, who they took God's gift and they distorted it. They rebelled against authority. They rebelled against the Lord and God judged them. Verse eight says, yet in like manner, these people also, this is these people who have crept in, these people also relying on their dreams, evidently were speaking in visions and saying, hey, this is what God told me. This is what God's telling me to do. He's saying this is okay. He's saying this is good, even though it goes against what the Lord's heart is. It says, relying on their dreams, they defile the flesh, they reject authority and they blaspheme. And I have no idea how they did this. They blaspheme the glorious ones. They blasphemed angels. We don't get how they did that or what that looked like, but they did. And here's what we do get is a quote from a book in the Apocrypha called The Assumptions of Moses. It's one that you probably didn't pick up and read this weekend, okay? But Jude, he knows it well. Evidently, the body there knew it well. And so he quotes from it or he talks from it. And he says, but when the, arch, the archangel Michael who's a bad dude, by the way, bad angel dude. Like a good, like good is in bad, like bad is in good. You know what I'm saying? Like he's one of the, this is a guy like you want on your side, Michael. It says, when Michael contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but he said from the book of Zechariah chapter three, the Lord rebuke you. So what he's saying here is that even when Michael is fighting with Satan over the body of Moses, which we can learn about if we read the assumptions, uh, the assumption of Moses, saying that he didn't even presume the ability to speak a blasphemous word against Satan. But instead he said, the Lord will do this. The Lord rebuke you. Now, once again, I don't know what all is taking place here, but he's saying these people are speaking out of line. They're saying things they ought not to say. Michael didn't even say it. 
So these guys shouldn't blaspheme. Verse 10, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. Woe to them. And here's three more Bible references. He says, for they walked in the way of Cain. Now, how did Cain walk? (laughs) Cain was jealous over his brother. And what did he do? He killed him. He killed his own brother. He's saying these people, these people that are trying to lead you astray, these that have crept into the church, they're like Cain. They're jealous and they just want death. That's what they want for you. They wanna kill like Cain did. He says next, he references another uh, story from from the Bible. He, He says, and they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. And you can read about this if you want to in uh, Numbers, which for some of you, you're like, yeah, I didn't pick that up this weekend either. Uh, You should, Numbers is great, but Numbers chapter 22. In in this book, Balaam is a prophet, but what he is gonna do is he he accepts a fee, he accepts money to ultimately go and speak a word of curse against God's people. God doesn't allow him to do that. And if you'll remember, he actually speaks through a donkey uh, to him. It's a pretty phenomenal story and it's kind of funny. But, but that's where it is. But Balaam, what the writer here, what Judah's saying is these guys, are, they're like Cain and they're like Balaam. They're just greedy. They just want your money. They just want your stuff. They're selfish. And then he says, and they and perished in Korah's rebellion. You can read about this in Numbers chapter 16. It's a pretty, pretty crazy story. Korah and a group, his little posse, they uh, form a rebellion against Moses. And so they say, hey, we don't like Moses anymore. We're tired of Moses and all his privileges. We should have some of those privileges. And so they buck against his authority and they try to overtake Moses so they can do the work of the Lord. Just to remind you, the Lord opens up the ground and they fall in it and it closes shut. These guys that Jude is speaking to and writing to and and this is being read over, they know this story and he's saying, hey, look, as you have these people that have crept in, you better beware because they remind me and they should remind you of Israel in the wilderness. They should remind you of the angels who rebelled. They should remind you of Sodom and Gomorrah and what God did and how God responded. These guys, they walk in the way of Cain They're greedy like Balaam and they're just seeking authority like Korah was and God will come down upon it. He won't allow this in his church. So Jude reminds the church of the past poster boys of sin and deception and destructive behaviors. Look at number four. We see also that Jude exposes the reality of the false teacher's ministry and the ultimate judgment the Lord will bring upon all ungodliness. Look there at verse 12. He talks about their ministry and what they're doing. He said, these are hidden reefs reefs at your love feast. And when he says love feast, we should just think of the taking of the Lord's supper. He's saying at the table, partaking of the Lord's supper 
are these hidden reefs. These people that it's like a reef under the water and there you are in your little boat just heading on the water looks clear, everything looks good. And then you hit that reef and what happens? Boat sinks, okay? Not good. He says, they're like that. They're hidden under the water at your love feast. They're at the table taking of the Lord's supper. And as they feast with you without fear, they're shepherds feeding themselves They're not trying to feed you. They're not trying to encourage you. They're not trying to lead you to life. They're just feeding themselves. They're out for their own gain. They're like waterless clouds. It means they look like they're gonna produce something, but they don't. They don't. Swept along by the winds. They're fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted. Like you would think they would bear fruit by what they're saying, but but they're they're dead. Their tree is dead. They have no fruit to bring, no life to bring. They're like wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. They're like wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. They're like little fading, blinking lights. They give you the image of a light, but really they're just fading away and to leave you. And if you follow them, will lead you into darkness. Jude exposes the reality of false teachers, the false teacher's ministry and the ultimate judgment the Lord will bring upon all ungodliness. Just as a reminder here, I, I just want you to know that, that the Lord, listen, he will punish all sin. God will punish all sin, all sin. Every sin, all sin is infinitely offensive to God. For those in Christ, for the church, for those who are called and those who are loved by the Father and those who are kept in Jesus Christ, for us, our sin is punished as well and punished fully. It's just punished on Jesus. Jesus was punished in our place. That's our faith. That's what our faith is in. God will punish the ungodly and he has punished the ungodly in me. He's punished it on his son so that I can be a son of God. So I can be set free so that I can live in his grace. So I can be with him forever. So I don't have to fear. But church, we have to beware of people who would take that grace and twist it to something else. Who would turn us away from Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior as we heard confessed today. Jude says anything that's coming against that, we must contend. We must contend for the faith. Legalism can kill. It's a perversion of God's grace. And when legalism exists, we must speak a better word of legalism. We must speak the gospel and we must contend for the faith. When gross immorality comes and is even encouraged. Church, we must stand against it. Clinging to the gospel, knowing that God's grace doesn't give us freedom to do whatever we want. God's grace gives us freedom to live in him. Jude exposes the reality of these teachers' ministry. He's saying it's not gonna work out. They're not gonna be able to deliver what they promise. It's gonna end in judgment and destruction. When Jude describes this, he actually quotes again 
from a book from the Apocrypha. It's very interesting. It's from first Enoch. And he says in verse 14, he says, it was also these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism and gain advantage. I, I want you to just in light of what we've seen, in light of Jude appealing to the church to contend, in light of Jude calling out those who have crept in, in light of Jude reminding the church of these past poster boys of sin, deception and destructive behaviors, and in light of Jude exposing the reality of their fate, and pointing to the ultimate judgment that the Lord will bring upon all ungodliness. Church, we got really just a couple of things to do and that's how we're gonna close. Look at number five there. This book, the letter so far, the letter of Jude, it ought to encourage us to first, man, to examine our faith, to examine our faith. And especially in line with this term ungodliness, and just to see that for us, our hope is in God's grace. Our hope is in the gospel. Our hope is that the ungodliness that was in me and that was me, Jesus Christ bore in my place. That's my hope. It's not that he doesn't care about my sin, it's that he's cared about it in full. And now that Jesus has taken my sin, it greatly affects the way I view sin. Now that I've been forgiven, it greatly affects the way I'm able to forgive somebody else. Now that I've received grace, it's greatly impacted the way I can show grace to someone else. In fact, I don't think I can stop showing grace until Jesus stops showing grace. And he didn't stop. So look at how much it affects our life. It ought to encourage us to examine our faith. And so what I might ask you to do is this, and as we close, and I've totally left my notes here, uh, Wow, let's find it. Hold on, pause, pause with me, stay with me. Okay, first ask the question, what, what is my faith in? What is my faith in? I'm not asking you how big your faith is. That's not what I'm asking you today. That's not the point. Not how big is your faith, but what is your faith in? What is the substance that you're placing faith in? Because I'm telling you today, that it's not the size of our faith, but the substance that we place even our mustard seeds in. And church, a mustard seed of faith in the substance that is the gospel has the ability to grow into everything that God desires it to grow into. He will create something beautiful. Well, how can we measure that? Well, I, I think you see just as we close out this is, is that we have to ask the question, do our lives reflect the faith that we say we have, that we believe? Do our lives reflect the faith that we say we believe? Is our attitude and character in step with the gospel? Because what you see here in Jude is not necessarily people teaching something different. We have people saying something that's true and then in their lives denying that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. 
And look, I'm gonna tell you, that's what happened on that day at the steps, on the steps outside this church. Somebody claimed truth and they denied the Lord in the way they treated a person. That's the way things happen when we get out of step with the gospel. Jude is calling us right here to examine our faith, to examine our lives and church to celebrate the glorious grace of God. So as we respond today, maybe the whole service, maybe it was the baptism, maybe it was in the message, maybe it was everything, maybe it was a song, whatever it is, maybe the Lord is calling you today and you know it. Maybe he's calling you to faith today to put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, I, I call you to come. Come and believe. I'd love to pray with you. I'm sure someone else would as well. And maybe today you have in some way been misled or maybe you have been pulled away from the faith. Please look at these examples and see, come, come to Christ. Turn back to him, turn back to his ways. He is always in forever good. To go against him is to turn away from what's best for your life and it's destructive. Turn back to the Lord. Today, if you need to come up here and even pray for the power to contend, come on. Let's pray together. Let's be a church that unites in the faith and we live out that faith in love. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you love us.